Did you hear that sound? Listen real closely. If you listen, you'll hear the sound. It's like a, it's a can of worms that is being opened. Uh, that's what I want to do in this podcast. I want to talk about abuse. If you have your seat belt buckled, you're ready to go. I want to talk about this idea of abuse because abuse is being abused. I was talking to someone recently and they used that expression. I will not name them in this podcast to protect them, uh, but I thought it was a good phrase. And so I, I took it, I turned it a little bit, and I do see what they were saying and I do agree with them. And so I have been thinking about this for a while now. And I thought I need to do some writing on this idea of abuse. I believe in abuse. It is real. It happens every day. People are devastated by abuse. It is legitimate, but I will talk more about that later. But you know, with all of the things that happen in our lives, there are always the back door, there are backside liabilities. Sin is always looking for a way to not just crouch, but to leap into our lives. And it can take the legitimate things that happen to us and well, it can twist them in ways that really just complicates the matter. And so I'm going to try to step into this big world of abuse and, and speak into it from a perspective that you really don't hear a lot about. And so let me get into it. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. Thank you so much for joining me. If you want to read this article, you're welcome to do that. Our stuff is free. Just get it, use it, share it. If you want to talk to me about it, you can do that. The only place in the world where we do that is on our free and private forums on our website. We don't talk on social media platforms because it has just proven to be quite wise not to do that. But we do not turn anyone away. We will never do that. And we will, we by the grace of God, and we will talk to you, but... If it's important to you, you'll need to come to our ministry and jump on our community forums. It's a civil place. You will not be attacked, and we can talk about all things, especially complicated things like what I am about to share with you. The title of the article that you can read on our website, again, taking a, a turn of phrase from a friend that I was speaking with recently, the title is, The Abuse of Abuse is Complicating Legitimate abuse. The word abuse has become a catch-all phrase with too many Christians. It's a construct, a container, a, the abuse construct. It's like a container, and it's full of all sorts of things. And it's now in danger of losing its worth. This legitimate idea of abuse is in danger, please listen to what I'm saying, of losing its value when you dilute a subject, a legitimate subject, to include virtually anything that you do not like, the original meaning and intent of that word becomes lost and your problems, well, they will not find solutions. And this outcome is what's happening with the word abuse. Recently, I was meeting with a pastoral team and their staff for two hours because of a list of accusations against them. 
and it was categorized as this church being abusive. The specific allegation was spiritual abuse, and I have written on spiritual abuse. I have a link here inside this article. You're welcome to read my thoughts on that. I've also written many other articles on abuse, and they are linked here also. The pastoral team and staff wanted to know what abuse in their situation meant. It was not a conversation with a group of resistant folks. They were teachable, and they were inquisitive. They just did not understand. And part of the why they didn't understand is because abuse it has been elasticized, and it's so big. It is a construct that is full of so many things, and it was confusing to them. And so we met for a couple of hours. They wanted to know what they were doing wrong and how the team could change But again, they were confused about the word abuse. After discussing a few of the backstories to the complaints that were registered against them, it became apparent that there were a few sins with various church members which the staff had to confront. Those confronted were hurt, as you might imagine. All of us have been hurt by confrontation, no matter how legitimate the confrontation was or needed to to be, but these people who confronted, who were confronted, they disagreed with the sins that were in question. And they said, the confronted said, that they had exhausted all avenues of reconciliation. They labeled the pastor as an abuser and began to broadcast their grievances on a public platform. They didn't mention any of these sins that were confronted, that they were confronted with, but they only mentioned the systemic pattern of abuse in the church. The language was mostly, though not totally vague, I mean spiritual views, toxic environment, etc. Again, they only shared their side, which unfortunately is not the way that you move toward reconciliation when you're only speaking about the sins of other people on a public platform. These disgruntled believers buy into what some people call the abuse construct. They see abuse as a container, and you can put virtually anything in their abuse bucket. When we borrow from the culture and develop constructs, one of the next things that will happen is an ever-expanding list of items that we place into the newly developed construct. There is only one construct for what is happening in this church that I'm speaking of. It's a sin construct. I know, it's, it's archaic. But what is going on here, regardless of which side you look at, it is a sin construct. A person either sins or they do not. But think about this, within a sin construct, you have the clarity to figure out what happened in any situation. And there are valid biblical processes to work through those sins, assuming that both parties are willing. This church may have sinned against this family. I'm not dismissing that. I'm not saying that that accusation is untrue. Perhaps some people on staff were angry uh, when they confronted the family. Perhaps the family was angry sinfully when they were confronted. I, I do not know. I do know it's possible. I mean, I've done this before. 
I have sinned against my children, for example, when they legitimately had done something wrong. According to many witnesses, it is true that those who were confronted were sinning. And so both of them agree in this instance, in this way, that the other side sinned. And I would not dispute that. I am sure that both sides sinned. It is rare for one side to be pure, while only the other is not. Proverbs 18 gives us some wisdom here. It says, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. The lot puts an end to the quarrels and decides between powerful contenders. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. Because abuse is a trigger word, I am pretty sure that many people who are listening, if they have made it this far, they will hear what I am they will hear what I am saying and assert that I am dismissing what happened to them. That type of reaction is part of the problem with this elasticized construct that we call abuse because anything can go into the abuse construct. And soon as I say what happened to you does not fit into that construct, the reactor responds aggressively and without wisdom or clarity. Please listen to this statement, this next statement. I would never suggest that any hurt person is not so, is not hurt. And I would never suggest that what they say is untrue. Love believes all things, and I do too upon first hearing it. The issue for me is not the legitimacy of the complaint that's not the issue at hand. Bring the complaint. I believe you. The issue here are the processes for working through what happened. It is cruel to disbelieve a person out of hand without investigating what happened to them. So please hear me carefully. But it can also be cruel to throw any offense into an abuse construct because that is just not true. When you label any sin, and unfortunately sometimes non-sin, as abuse, you will complicate the problem more than you should, and attempts toward resolution and reconciliation probably won't happen. For some counselors and for some victims of sin— they use abuse as Robin D'Angelo talks about white fragility. Her the- That's her book, White Fragility. Her thesis is that all people are racist, and your acceptance or rejection of her perspective merely proves her point. You're a racist. It doesn't matter where you go with this. You are a racist. Accept it, reject it, deny it, embrace it. You're a racist, it doesn't matter. If you're white, you are a racist. That's what she means by white fragility, according to D'Angelo. Do you think her approach, that her presupposition, that her perspective will move ethnic groups toward reconciliation, or do you believe that what she is positing here will drive people farther apart? Those who loosely and sloppily define abuse as anything from microaggressions to domestic violence create 
abuse fragility. When you bring the culture into our world and take your cues from them, it will never go well. We can do better than that because we have a better way of talking about what is wrong with us. I know it's archaic. I know it is unsophisticated. But you and I, we cannot improve on it. The word for what is wrong with us is sin. The big, fat, basket word for what's wrong with us is sin. And inside that construct is every possible infraction from fallen humanity. In this sense, we can agree with Robin D'Angelo. If you're alive and kicking, you are a sinner. In fact, you don't have to be kicking. You only need to be alive. If you deny it, if you accept it, the conclusion is the same for all of sin, and we are sinners. The more vital problem that we have to entangle ourselves is our desire, our ability, and courage to delve into the complexity of, the, of this three-letter word, the sin construct. One of the most significant issues with the abuse construct is that there is not a lot of complexity to the label. It's relatively straightforward for the abuse construct adherence. You're an abuser, and it does not matter what you did. Those who hold to that presupposition, they have virtually no qualms about calling anything abuse, and we have heard this. I mean, within that container of the abuse construct are all an unbelievable amount of labels and ideas and accusations. I've read from a biblical counselor where a sign of abuse is if a spouse does the finances, all the finances in the marriage, or opens the other spouse's mail. It's stunning. Now, I realize there's complexity here, but that's my whole point. If we are not willing to get into the complexity here, what we will do is begin to see abuse everywhere. And by the way, because these are two possible instances of abuse, it means that my wife is an abuser. Lucia, she handles all of our finances, and she opens most of my mail. My children also open my mail, and everyone in our family knows the password to my mobile phone. I mean, if I wanted to play that hand, I could say that I am the victim of abuse. Don't you think we need to add a pinch of complexity here? Knowing your dad's password is not a sign of abuse. My wife doing the finances is not another sign but in the world of the abuse construct, you can throw these two signs into the container and use them if you wish. The idea that I'm communicating to you here is called verificationism. Verificationism is the process of believing something. That's your presupposition. You believe something and then verifying your view with any data that will support your presupposition. Anything can be a sign of abuse, and if you're looking for it, you will find it. 
And that is the problem with the abuse construct. Again, I am not saying that whatever's happened to you is not real. I am saying that there is a level of complexity that a sin construct will permit you to get into at a granular and more comprehensive level. Suppose you presuppose that virtually anything can be abuse, your spouse doing finances or opening your mail. In that case, you're, you're going to find abuse everywhere, especially if someone who bothers you. Isn't this happening in our culture? Think about it. Two people will look at the same video on YouTube, on Twitter, and one of them will say it's an act of racism. But upon further investigation, you realize it was not. But because of verificationism, they already believe something. And if you believe something, you're going to find it with what you're looking at, even though what you're looking at, well, you're not looking at it with the objectivity that you need. If you're looking for it, you'll find it, which is why you need a better construct than abuse, which brings us back to the best one of all time. Sin. Alternately, the progressive Christian builds a presuppositional window with a word cloud of labels that mean abuse, like microaggressions, pride, control, manipulation, finances, passwords, opening the mail, and violence, and some of the labels pasted to their window. Those are just some of them. And some of them are actual abuse. Some of them are legitimate abuse. You heard them, but all of them are not. And if the window that I have just described is the one you're looking through, then whoever is on the other side of that window could be guilty if they do some of the things that you call abuse. Do you see a problem with this? I pray to God that you do. And you are tenacious about keeping your presuppositional window bibliocentric. How you label others will set the trajectory for how you react to them. Now, I have no desire to become the word police. I've said that many times through the years. But there is a reason we have the word of God. Words do matter. And it's vital that we use the right ones when thinking about what others have done to us. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. My sister-in-law murdered my brother, but she did not abuse me. Now think about that statement as you juxtapose it with a spouse opening the mail. I'm dogmatic that my sister-in-law did not abuse me, though she did murder my brother. And though we need to think with complexity, this tension here is not complicated. She committed murder. It was a sin. To be specific, it was a sin crime. Crimes flow out of the sin construct. Sin is the construct. Murder is the specific sin. And in the civil world... It's a crime. All of those are true. There are things that we should do to murderers. And because this was a crime, the civil authorities should adjudicate the matter, which they did. And that did not go well, but that is another story. Then there was me. Now, when you 
peaked into me back then, it was 1997, you would have seen all sorts of things. Some of those things were sinful and others were not. I was saddened. I was hurt. I was tempted to revenge. I was tempted to bitterness. I went back and forth between righteous and unrighteous anger. There was no need to talk about abuse here because that was not helpful. I I was not coming from an abuse construct as far as what she did. I was coming from a sin construct. I would need for you to help me another way than thinking about abuse and looking at me through an abusive presuppositional window. I need you I need you to help me through legitimate sins and legitimate temptations which a sin construct will offer you. The more significant issues with the abuse construct are that it obliterates, it can obliterate objectivity and it can truncate comprehensive soul care. Once a person plays the abuse card, you automatically have a sinner in one corner and a victim in the other. You rarely have the victim-sinner construct that permits a competent soul care provider to get into the complexities of relational conflict at a granular level. One of the most significant hindrances of this kind of soul care where you have the victim in one corner and the sinner in the other corner, and when I talk about the victim-sinner construct, is that some folks will upload what I just said as accusing the victim of the sinner's sins. They are not hearing what I'm saying. If they are beholding to an abuse construct and all of its fallibilities, and there are several, as I've been articulating here, they will have a hard time engaging the fuller counseling complexities. They will have a hard time really coming to a resolution because they don't come from a sin construct. They come from an abuse construct, and in an abuse construct, you can only have the 100% sinner and the 100% victim. Are there counselors and pastors who blame the victims for what the abuser did? Absolutely, and it's absolutely shameful. Are there abusers who manipulate incompetent or novice counselors into believing they are not guilty while blaming their victims? Absolutely. No rational person should argue these points. Counselors and pastors have blamed victims for what the abuser did. And abusers have manipulated incompetent and novice counselors, excuse me, <coughs> into believing that they are not guilty while blaming their victims. No rational person should argue these points. Does all here's another question. Does awful counseling, as I have just described in these two illustrations, justify not doing counseling competently? Absolutely not. We must do the hard work of conflict resolution, but it's only for those who can do this kind of heavy lifting. And I am well aware, and I've been talking about this for years, there's only a few people who are able to do this kind of heavy lifting to sort it out. What we should do is shrink the abuse construct. 
We have a sin construct, and it is adequate. And from this new presupposition, we can help folks with the specific sin that is happening and all of its complications. I trust you heard the irony when I said this new presupposition. I I said we have a sin construct which is adequate, and from this new presupposition we can help folks with the specific sin. Did you hear the irony with that phrase, this new presupposition? The irony is that historical Christianity has always had the sin construct. We only make messes when we step away from the clarity of God's Word, borrow teaching from the culture, and biblicize it so it sounds right to us. The problem is that it does not ring true, and it's making our lives more complicated. We're following the the Robin D'Angelo playbook, where everyone is a racist. In our situation, we will quickly label anyone as an abuser. Once someone says it, you cannot say anything against it. Or like the D'Angelo adherents, they will come for you. The wiser approach is to create better labels for our problems. There is physical violence. There is abuse that's not just sin, but they are sin crimes. My sister-in-law, what she did, she, she sinned, physical violence. She abused my brother. It was a crime. There were a host of sins associated with what she did. Listen carefully. My brother complicated the matter, too. I have no issue talking about his role in his death, though he's not responsible for it. I'm more interested in finding the truth than separating sinners as though one is pure and the other is not. One of the biggest culprits here in this problem with the abuse construct is a lack of understanding of the differences between empathy and sympathy. It's all about the prepositions, in or with. Let me explain. Empathy means in. You are in it with them, while sympathy means with. You are with them. And if you don't understand the difference, you will make the empathetic error. Error. Let me illustrate. An empathetic person will jump in the quicksand with the victim, and both of them will drown. And there are too many counselors who either don't have the ability to do this kind of heavy lifting, or they are afraid to get into the granular level of what's going on don't have the competency, and maybe don't have the courage. And so they make the empathic error, the empathetic error, and they jump in with the victim. They are all in. The sympathetic counselor will not jump in, but will be with the victim, standing outside the quicksand, seeking to pull them out of the trouble. This person has more compassion, more competence, and more courage. Yes, compassion, but it's not compassion to empathize with a person who is drowning in the preposition in. If you care well, you will have the competency and the courage and the compassion to pull them out. 
which will not hurt them. You don't hurt victims, which is the greatest act of compassion that you can provide for them. The title of the podcast and the article that I just shared with you is The Abuse of Abuse is Complicating Legitimate Abuse. Here are a couple of questions that I have at the end that you're, you are welcome to work through as far as the call to action. Question number one, when someone sins against you, is your first impulse to call it abuse or sin? Your first impulse should be to call it sin because you're working from a sin construct. And it is possible that within that construct that there is legitimate abuse. Or maybe something else is happening here that would not fit within the abuse, what people call the abuse construct that I hope is shrunken down a bit. But when someone sins against you as your first impulse to call it abuse or sin, that will set the trajectory for how you respond to the individual and work through the problem. Question number two, what are some of the dangers of putting too many things inside the abuse construct? This is the Robin D'Angelo playbook where everybody is a racist. It forms the interpretive grid for watching the video, and it really doesn't matter what happens. As soon as you see it, you know what it is. And again, that sets a trajectory for how you're going to respond, react, feel, and it will not ultimately cause bring the resolution that you need. I have a couple of other questions here, and you can work through these uh, this call to action part. But again, the title of the article, this podcast, The Abuse of Abuse is Complicating Legitimate Abuse. Some people will have questions. We want to entertain those. We have a civil platform where we can talk. We will not turn you away. We will be gracious to you, and we would love to have the conversation that you want to have. If you are being abused, you're being physically, sexually abused, I mean, you know what it is. Or if you're having any type of relational conflict with another person, I appeal to you to reach out and get the help you need. You need someone walking with you through this. Thank you so much for listening.